And now, announcing your starting point guard for the Phoenix Suns, number seven, Paul Gallardo. And then I woke up. <clears throat> so, growing up, pretty much positive I was going to be the next starting point guard of the Phoenix Suns. As y'all have probably been able to ascertain by the fact that I'm podcasting to you right now, that dream did not happen. We we're looking at some stats. About 2% of collegiate athletes actually make it to professional sports. And this is all sports of any level. And I think we can all guess how many people actually make it onto college sports. I was not one of them. So we're going to chat a little bit about expectations, reality, and what you need to be doing to take care of your youth athletes. Welcome to Therapists in Motion podcast, brought to you by Spooner Physical Therapy. Welcome back to Therapists in Motion podcast. That was a stunning and wonderful intro by Paul. Today we are joined by Jen Lee from Goodyear and two first-time podcasters, Dylan Moeller from Spooner Physical Therapy, Sunny Slope. Hello, hello. And a, our first ever student, pardon his accent, from East Tennessee State University, Josh. Yeah, good luck trying to understand what I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> so as Paul alluded to in the introduction, today we're just going to kind of have a fun dialogue talking about our role in educating uh, our patients, coaches, uh trainers, both strength training and athletic trainers on, on youth injuries. The majority of our research has been looking primarily at, at baseball overhead throwing athletes with a significant rise in UCL injuries, shoulder injuries, missed time. And so, you know, I just first want to ask a question of what, why is this so important? And what are some of the, the leading causes and factors that we've seen that, that are, are primarily driving our role in this? So I think the first thing that uh, we look at is even as physical therapists and as a former collegiate athlete and undergrad as a baseball player, um, I think the biggest thing that we see. level. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you for that, Dan. I appreciate that. Um, but anyway, see, I think the biggest thing that we see, um, even growing up playing baseball, there's always one or two athletes um, that are always more mature than others that usually kind of mature into their body first before everybody else. They usually throw harder. They start their curveball earlier than, earlier than usual. Um, and so, of course, you know, in tournaments and club baseball and all the way up through high school and college, they usually get more fatigued, overused. Um, and so I think as, as physical therapists, we need to understand how to educate um, athletes even at a young age, um, it's never too early to teach them, uh, but also their coaches. Um, everybody has now has a, has, a, has a hitting coach or a pitching coach um, or personal trainers, um, so they all need to be educated on that too. Um, but I think everybody, they, I mean, you get that one pitcher, he's really good, so he'll pitch on a Thursday, a Friday, and a Saturday to win a tournament on a club level. The following week, he'll play high school baseball. Um, and then he'll be like, oh, yeah, I'm the starting pitcher. I'll, I'll pitch Tuesday and then Friday. So right there within a week, you'll, usually you'll see like one pitcher throw four or five innings or four or five games, I mean. Um, and then after a while, that that will take a toll, and eventually your body's just going to break down. Um, so we have a lot of studies that we're going to go over today um, in regards to fatigue. Some some uh, in our research regarding Dr. James Andrew and his Pitch Smart program with Little League. Um, so we'll kind of go based off of that. So I would say in addition to that, um, just sports specialization 
at all. Like, I feel like it's getting more and more common that you find those one or two kids that are really, really good or really, really strong and have a good arm whenever they're young. And okay, then we're going to throw them into baseball and that's all that they're going to do. And I think, and based off of the research that we've done to prepare for this podcast, it's actually kind of proven that the more that you sport specialize, the higher risk of injury you're going to be. And that's where we're going to come in. We're going to see them typically after they're injured. Um, Ideally, we can start to prevent it, but sport specialization is huge, I think. And I think it is important to kind of touch on something that Dylan was talking about where winning is kind of a driving force in everyone. Everyone wants to win. But the truth is, if let's just say you are that rare, rare percentage, that less than 1% that's going to make it from before a a collegiate level sport to a professional level sport. Yes, winning is good. But with scouting system nowadays, they're going to find you. If you're good enough, you will be found. So if you don't pitch as many innings or take as much stress in your body, you're still going to be scouting. You're still going to have the opportunity. If I was to sit here and ask you guys, who is the best pitcher in Major League Baseball last year? You could probably come up with some answers. Who is the best pitcher of all time? Come up with some answers. What's the most famous moment you can think of from a pitcher? You can come up with some answers. Who's the greatest little league pitcher of all time? What's the greatest little league pitching moment of all time? And that's at least nationally televised. For the the honest truth is, as much as we want to win, as much as we want to do these things, if you really are that good, you got to be smart with your body. Your body is your asset. Your body is all that you have to make it through if you're going to get to that level. And for the rest of everyone, play hard, win, but realize that the, the chances of making it are difficult. So do not cause issues for the rest of your life trying to do something that really, in the long run, probably is not the most important thing, quite honestly. Yeah, so I kind of want to go back to something that <clears throat> Dylan alluded to about James Andrews and the Pitch Smart program. So not only is that in Little League, but it's been adopted by all sorts of baseball leagues across the country, like the Pony League and Brave Ruth Baseball. And, um, you know, a few other well-known USA Baseball has adopted, as well as Major League Baseball started to adopt that, where they are really starting to track and monitor the number of pitches that you throw, and they're basing it off an age. Now, one of the other interesting things that that I saw while doing some research on, on this Pitch Smart pro- program was really talking about fatigue. And I, I think that that's something where we as therapists oftentimes don't understand the component of active rest and what active rest really looks for, for an individual. Um, but, but in relation to fatigue, I mean, there's some studies that have shown that, you know, pitchers who pitch with arm fatigue are 36 times more likely to have injury occur. And I think we can look at fatigue in in a couple different ways. We can look at fatigue as event. So as kind of Dylan was talking about, like how many pitches in a game are they throwing? You know, and and I think that the driving force behind Dr. Andrews and all of his research has has supported and very well documented the number of pitches that you should throw in a game at a specific age level. The second type of fatigue is seasonal fatigue. So going back to Dylan's point and, and Paul's point about winning, where that 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 kid and that kid could start at age seven. I mean, Dylan and Josh both probably started playing travel baseball at really young ages. Yeah. And so they're, they're, they're playing a ton of games. Not only are they practicing pitching, but they're, you know, they're playing catch and they're playing long toss and they're putting a lot of stress on their bodies. Well, you know, that example that Dylan highlighted where that kid may pitch Saturday, Sunday, and then come back and throw in the high school league on Tuesday and Friday and then play travel ball. You know, I mean, that's seasonal fatigue where they're, they are just throwing so much plus having a pitching coach 
right? And working on mechanics with their pitching coach in between. Last is obviously, and, and I think this is the most obvious, and it's something that that Jen alluded to as well, is, is that seasonal aspect, that year-long component where all that they do is play baseball. They have sports specificity at a very young age, and I, I think the literature doesn't support sports specificity. Um, yeah, for sure. So sport uh, specialization basically is going to be greater than eight months. So we're looking at like year-round training or – they quit all other sports to have one sport, right? So, and like you all have, you know, talked about, it's going to be one of those things where that's all they know. So, you know, they're free play. So meaning like, you know, stuff they do outside of sports is going to be affected. Um, so, yeah, I mean, you know, basically parents and coaches are looking for, you know, the, the next Bryce Harper deal, you know, guaranteed money, you know, that kind of stuff. So, um, coaches are pushing it because they want to turn out, you know, the best possible athletes that they can. So therefore, they're going to keep pitching the same, you know, people every single tournament to try to get the the win, pretty much. So, I'm curious though. I just kind of want to ask, especially um, Josh and Dylan. You guys kind of know the pressure of those coaches. They want you there 12 months out of the year, 24 seven. They want you there all the time. How do you combat that? Especially as a young kid who loves a sport, wants to play it, wants to play it all the time. Where do you find a happy medium and how do you counsel someone to be able to step away and take the appropriate rest they need? Um, yeah, no, great question. Um, I think the biggest thing for me when I was young is, um, you know, I grew up playing baseball. I started playing when I was three and finally got into travel ball, probably at a really young age, probably around 12 years old. And I loved it. Um, and so I just like, you kind of feed off of it. But as I grew up too, I also understood, like, I also love the game of basketball. So I played basketball all through high school as well. And then my senior year decided to be like, you know what, I'm just going to focus on baseball. And that's kind of when that sports specialization actually really took an effect. Um, and I noticed it. I mean, even through my senior year of high school, all the way through um, four years of college. I mean, after college, I was like, I am tapped out. I am done. Um, I mean, the injuries I've, I've gone through is I just, I couldn't take it anymore. And I was like, I need. I want. I want to make a bigger impact of what I need. But I mean, as a PT and and uh, going through that and experience, um, I think like, like Jen talked about, um, a lot of the states that are really high, highly competitive, and you can play year round, um, especially baseball. You know, like Texas, Florida, Arizona, California, and a lot of other states too. But you know, the weather's great year round, so you'll play high school ball. But in high school ball, there's fall ball, and then there's spring ball, and then there's summer ball. But on top of that, you have club, and club never stops year round. Um, you might have one tournament or, you know, one to four tournaments every month, especially in the summertime. I remember I had eight games in a span of four days on top of like five uh, high school baseball games over spring break. And so, I mean, you could feel it. I mean, I've seen a lot of pitchers. I grew up with a lot of pitchers that were great at between 12 and 15. And then after 15, you never heard anything from them again. It's like, no, I gave out. I'm, I'm done. I literally could not play anymore. Um, and that was a big thing for me. I mean, even that growing up as a shortstop, it's like, oh, great. You play shortstop. I want you to take all the infield cuts. I want you to take all the throws. I want you to throw long toss. I want you to do everything. Oh, then I want you to come in and, you know, pitch my, the last couple innings in a game, close out an inning. And then the next day your club coach goes, Hey, can you actually start pitching? It's like, holy cow, 12 hours later, I'm pitching in a different game. And I'm like, I haven't got any rest. So there's research that says, right. I mean, Dr. Andrews even talks about, Adequate rest and active rest is between two and three months off. No throwing, mm-hmm. no nothing. And so I think we need to really educate a lot of our listeners. Um, you know, we can, we need to play a role in that and t- telling patients or, I mean, athletes, hey, we need, to, we need to really consider this and take some time off just for our body to rest and play some other sports. I don't, whether it's soccer or basketball, anything else, 
that gives your elbow and shoulder a break. Yeah. And, and I think to highlight that component, you know, Dr. Andrews is specific about no other overhead sports, yeah, right? Absolutely. So it's not like they can play baseball and then go play tennis. Well, guess what? Tennis is an overhead sport absolutely. or volleyball. Volleyball is an overhead sport or swimming. Swimming is an overhead sport, right? That, that three to four months is with no other overhead activity. And, and I think that's important right. for us also to think about when we have that athlete in, What's our program look for them, which, which we're going to hit on in a second podcast about more like how can we actually better care for them as opposed to educating ourselves and then starting to educate, educate the parent, the coach, the athlete, et cetera. Well, I was going to ask a question to you guys. Where do you, you talk about um, the drive for, okay, this kid's good. We want him to play all year round. Is the drive for that, is the push for that coming from the parents? Is the push for that coming from the kid that loves the sport? Or is the push for that coming from the coach that sees the talent? And then where is our, like, where do we enter in in that educational process? Or do you guys have any experience with that? I mean, for me personally, I think it was all the above. I mean, you know, obviously I I grew up loving baseball. I played year-round for a while, and then it was kind of one of those peaks in high school kind of deals, you know, like I was just burnt out by the time I got there because I was playing constantly. Um, and you know, that, that comes from, and I mean, obviously I love my parents to death, so I'm not saying that it was, you know, their fault or anything, but like, <laughs> sure, sure. you know, it, it, it was, it was also, you know, that's a, that's a part of it. It's very multifactorial. And, um, so yeah, I mean, I, I think it comes down from a, a load management standpoint, you know, how much you're throwing and it, it doesn't have to be just throwing, you know, you think of hitting, I mean, you know, there's there's different movement patterns that I feel we need to master before we try to specialize into one kind of thing. Yeah, I, I would say, Jen, to answer your question, I mean, for me, it kind of like Josh, it, it was all of the above, right? Like some of it was my own internal pressure. Um, I wasn't a baseball player, but I was a tennis player. Um, I, I couldn't hit a pitch to save my life. So I, I switched to, <laughs> to playing tennis. At least he's honest here. <laughs> At least he's honest. Uh, I, I could field and throw, but I couldn't hit. So it was the fun in that. Right. Um, but it was a little bit of both. There was a little bit of a coach kind of pushing you just a little bit. It was a little bit of my parents, but it was my parents pushing me because they knew that that's what I wanted. Um, I, I think right. in, in my experience with my own children right now and, and seeing, their interaction in sports right now, it's almost more of a parent pushing it at the younger age as opposed to a coach pushing at the younger age. Uh, and so that's something I'm very cognizantly aware of as a parent being like, you know what? If my kid doesn't want to play, I'm not going to force them. Now, if they say I want to play, then I'm, I'm going to ask them to practice every day. And if they say no, then I'm just going to find out why. Right. Um mm-hmm. But I think you're on to something about like what's the psych component behind that and who's the driving force behind that. And I think that's important for us to highlight and start to tease out, especially if you can ever get that kid, obviously with parental consent, <laughs> in the clinic without the parent there and start to kind of build that trust to get that out of them. Like, do you like playing baseball 24-7? No, man, I really want to play something else, but my parents won't let me. Right. So, mm-hmm. and then how do you break down those barriers? Yeah, it's tough. Um, Jen, if I, if you don't mind, I might, I don't, I don't, I'm going to chime in here as well. Uh, but to answer your question, I think as we, as the kids grow up and at a really young age, like Dan was talking about with his kids, 
Um, I think a lot of it does come from the parents because they might see something special that coaches may not see yet because the parents are, you know, probably the first ones that play catch with them at home and teach them how to play. And, oh, wow, you're really gifted and you can really throw the ball or you can hit the ball really far. And, you know, you have a lot of potential. I mean, specialization of sports might start really young between ages six and seven that we've seen. And um, even as we get through Little League, a lot of the coaches we need to not forget um, are actually parents. And so, volunteers. yeah, volunteers. But if, you know, but all, you know, it's always the best player on the team is usually the coach's kid. And so it's all kind of funny how it always works out. But that coach also has an impact on a lot of other players on the team, not just his, you know, his son or daughter, whatever it is, but also needs to realize that there's a lot of other kids on the team, you know, 10 to 12 others to, hey, don't pitch too much. And Dr. James Andrews and what Dan said earlier, there's a pitch count limit in Little League. I mean, we see it in Little League World Series. Um, there's a pitch count. And so I think the, right now between, you know, 11 and 14 years old, they can only pitch 75 innings a game. And when then that happens, pitches 75 pitches a game. Sorry, yeah. Wow, did I say innings? Yeah. Oh, wow. 75 pitches a game. That'd be that would be impressive. Uh, but then after that, it's you need to take four to five active days rest. You li- you cannot pitch one bit. But of course, you know, mm-hmm. let's go play shortstop. Let's go play center field. So it's not like they just act. They just stop. They are always every game. So we as um, as Dan talked about as a parent, if your kid does not want to play, you know. Hey, that's okay. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna force you to play. You don't need to play. That's all right. If you want to play basketball this season, let's play basketball. You want to play soccer? Absolutely, play soccer. Right. I'm gonna support you no matter what you need to do. Yeah, I we, like the idea of going around to different positions too. You yeah, can be the next Ben Zobrist, be able to play, play anywhere. Yeah, absolutely. You always got to be smart though too, because like Dylan said, sometimes the best player then is the one that plays shortstop when they're not pitching, and then you're making the tough throw across the diamond. Sometimes a lot of times running across away from your body, or they're sticking in center field because you're fast enough to track everything down. And then again, you're making throws from long uh, outfield, so it always plays a role. It's funny we were talking a little bit before this, and <clears throat> talking about like, so what? You know what's our role? And Dylan goes educate everyone <laughs> educate yeah. the coach educate the kid educate the parent educate their favorite uncle talk to the dog i don't care talk to every person that's involved talk in this the dog, into the dog. <laughs> so people confide in their dog all right <laughs> so i do think that we have a role here because there comes a little bit of the you can lead a horse to water you can't make them drink we could sit here until our faces are blue and tell parents and kids the is- issues and risks and all the things that can happen and believe me, there are going to be plenty of kids that smile and nod and say, I hear you, and then pitch the next day, and the day after that, and the day after that. Part of our role becomes we do the best we can, but also get more people on our side. You know, the coaches you can sometimes help with, but also trainers. Like Dylan said, everyone's got their own pitching coach, their own batting coach. Talk to the orthopedics uh, specialists that are working with the high schools, working with the traveling teams. Talk to the PAs. Talk to every physician that's working with these individuals. Sometimes one person saying something is useful four or five people saying the same thing is powerful you know if we have a bunch of other health professionals that are on our side and understand the risk these kids are through and understand what can happen and then they tell the parents the parents are like oh dang that sounds like the exact same thing dan just told my kid and then they go and the athletic trainer saying the same message and we're all having a unified front that's going to be more likely to be impactful than anything else. So you can't get frustrated mm-hmm. when you get stuck hitting a wall that doesn't go any further because you're going to, especially with parents and kids. It just happens. But the more people you can get on your side, the more people can get saying the same message as you, the more likely you are to make an impact and uh, save a shoulder or two. Yeah, and, and I, you know, I think that's huge, but it's also hard at the same time, right? <laughs> yeah, because, <clears throat> I mean, when you have one of the probably most well-known surgeons in the United States of, mm-hmm. of James Andrews saying like, we need to monitor this stuff and there's still coaches and trainers and, and, and potentially therapists who are ignoring it. 
Mm-hmm. It's like, oh my gosh, how, 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 how can you, like, he is the figurehead on this. Like he spent more time and money than probably any of us can even imagine on this single subject. Right. I, I think as our kids get older, it's, it's less about the parent and it's more about the kid and the coach. Right. And, and I think, mm-hmm. you know, pulling off of, of Dylan and, and Josh's experience, like, in that situation, and like Paul said too, it, it's it then comes down to well, if he doesn't throw, we're not going to win. Yeah. yeah. Right. And right. and I know right. there's something to be said about winning and being recognized. And and if you're not on a winning team, Devin Booker, you, you may not get <laughs> get get pulled to the All Star game, right? Which is a travesty, right? Because, mm-hmm. but it's reality. If you're not on a winning team, the likelihood that you're going to get drafted or noticed or something like that is low. Less, yeah. Um, so that's like the, that's kind of the catch 22 that we're in. But yeah, I mean, I, I, as I was thinking about this, it's almost like, gosh, what can we provide to every quote unquote youth overhead throwing athlete that walks into our facilities? Like, is right. there, is there a handout? Is there a stat? Is there a, is there something that's really going to grab their attention that they're going to want to share and not just be like, well, that's useless. Like that, that doesn't apply to my kid. <laughs> doesn't right? pay for my kid's scholarship. <laughs> exactly. Right. Um, and I think with that too, I mean, if you, if you have a kid is like, I don't really think this is going to bother me. I mean, just some of these stats that even Dr. James Andrews came up with, but 25% of active major league baseball pitchers have already had a Tommy John UCL injury in the procedure. So even 25%, I mean, that continues from Little League all the way up to professional baseball. They just don't stop. Right now, you're seeing a lot more Tommy John surgeries that end this season in pro baseball than ever before. Um, mm-hmm. they, there's a stat that more pitchers in just 2014 had the Tommy John surgery compared to just the entire 1990s. So the, a whole decade. So we had more than one year than we had in a whole decade. And right now, you'll see in playoffs – you know, Mazin Bumgarner in 2014, he threw, I think, game one, game three, game or game six, and then maybe even game seven and closed it out. Mm-hmm. But I mean, mm-hmm. it's, it's crazy. And some of those pitch counts are like, oh, yeah, he's throwing a complete, he's throwing a no hitter in the ninth inning, 155 right. pitches later. Mm-hmm. And so you're like, well, no kidding, he has elbow tendonitis and then inf- uh, like inflammatory like phases. And then, oh, Tommy John. It's like, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, it never stops. So everybody needs to be aware. And especially early in the season. Baseball is a long season. I mean, right. high school is usually between 30 and 40 games, but then club, you could play, you know, 90 to 100 games in a year. And baseball now in yeah. the pros is 162. So um, we need to educate everybody. And when we do educate, not just the athlete, but, you know, the parents. I mean, the coaches, right. like Paul said in the very beginning. And when we educate the yeah. athletes, don't isolate them from the parents. It's like, you know, if you need to get them together, get them together and have a sit down talk with them. Like, hey, this is like from experience and some stats. This is really beneficial for yeah, your kid. I think to kind of go off of that as well as, you know, I mean, the biggest risks that, that have been published for increasing elbow and shoulder incidences, showcase tournaments mm-hmm. where they're trying to get exposure. Yep. Right. And, and they're. They're getting thrown a lot, right? Or a scout's pulling them aside and having them throw again. The lovely invention of the radar gun, uh, right? And oh and it's gosh. all about how fast can you throw versus you go back and you look in the day of, of a Cy Young or a Warren Spawn or something like that, and they're throwing in the upper 80s, low 90s, but 
they never had elbow injuries, yeah. right? And and they were able to pitch more complete games than anybody in the history of the game. Yeah. Cy Young has more complete games than any other pitcher in the history, and it'll never be touched. No, mm-hmm. ever never. again. Never. Um, early complete games. Like yeah, 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 absolutely. Never happens anymore. Um, poor mechanics, which I think we can hit on in podcast portion two and then early curveball. I mean, Dylan was telling us during prep time that, you know, they're now saying you shouldn't start to even learn a curveball until the kid hits puberty. Right. And it doesn't matter how big they are or tall they are. It should be when they hit puberty, their musculoskeletal system may be able to start handling that load. I, I listened to a, uh, to a seminar by Ryan Bizell, I think that's how I, you pronounce his last name, and he's the uh, minor league rehab coordinator for the San Diego Padres. And he was talking about just some some mechanics from an educational standpoint that during the acceleration phase of throwing, the arm is moving at 600,000 degrees per second. 600,000 degrees per second. Is, is that the, fast? That, yeah, that, that's... <laughs> That, that's probably like you when you were like 12. <laughs> and then the deceleration phase is 5,000, 500,000 degrees per second. With those two speeds, that puts 100 newton meters of torque through the UCL. So like having a little bit of that background, 100 newton meters is equivalent to 60 pounds. Mm-hmm. I mean, go back to cadaver studies. Remember how small that UCL is. Yeah. And cadaver studies have showed that the UCL can break at 34 Newton meters, right? Now, obviously that's not being bathed in synovial fluid and all that other stuff, right? Assisting structure, supporting, et cetera. Right. But I mean, that's, that's three times the force going through that elbow during pitching mechanics. So I think those are important things for us to know and, and think about as part of our educational process about the risks of showcase tournaments, Raider Garden, early curveball plus education on ourselves about the forces going through the shoulder and the elbow. Yeah, I mean, for sure. Cause I mean, there's, there's kids now that are getting Tommy John surgery prior to injury because they want to throw harder. So <laughs> on sports center, you know, like you were talking about earlier, you know, guys come back from Tommy John and just throw an absolute gas after they come back. Well, there was one study I read that was like, I think it was 51% of high school athletes. The actual players said they would have, surgery prior to injury and then 21 percent or something like that uh the coaches and parents said they would allow the said athlete to have that surgery so i mean it it just comes down from education standpoint of you know getting all that info out there i think it's important too to remind people of some of the stories that don't make it i feel like too often we fail fall into the social media syndrome where you know you see that person like god their life looks awesome all these pictures are so cool and it's because you're only looking at highlights you know for every tiger mm-hmm. woods story of a child prodigy that makes it there are thousands of i don't know if i want to say equally talented because it's a generational talent but exceptionally talented individuals that never make it i mean don't just talk about how many people that were you know 13 14 15 supposed to be stud pitchers and you never hear of them again well we never hear of them so we never hear about them we never know what happens yes every now and then you get that brandon roy you know, shout out to my Blazer fans out there <laughs> that comes back to relief from an injury. Avery zero. Grant Long. <laughs> Grant Long. Go um, that comes back from an injury probably too early and then never plays again or is nowhere near the same level. Those things happen on the rare moon, but you hear the child prodigies all the time. That's why people that have been in the sporting arena for a long time, 
Use the stories. Use the stories of the individuals that didn't make it, that had injuries, that broke down, that couldn't keep going. Do a quick Google search. There's tons of stuff out there of mm-hmm. all kinds of little league stars that never actually made it anywhere. And so many times it is injuries that derailed their career and they just never quite found it again. Or yeah. a, another component that kind of Josh and, and, and Dylan hit too is burnout, right? Like, mm-hmm. I mean, they, they play so much and that could be in any sport, not just overhead you know, baseball, but that could be any sport where they are in the pool seven days a week before school, after school. And by the time they hit high school, they're just done because they've swam so much or they've thrown so much or they've done whatever so much. They just, at that point, they just lose interest and they realize, you know what, this isn't necessarily something for me. This is something that mom and dad or my coach really was pushing me to do as, as opposed to an own self internal drive. Right. It's hard to fight the notion of Practice makes perfect. <laughs> and I don't remember who did who said this quote. You guys might remember, but somebody said, perfect practice makes perfect, not just practice makes perfect. Yeah, it's, it, and there, yeah, so therein lies, okay, what is perfect practice? Where does fatigue set in? It's not going to be the same for every kid because not every kid is the same and not every kid moves the same. It just can't be. So it's hard to have this protocol or this box of how many pitches or how much should I do when it's just, it's not going to fit everybody. One size doesn't fit all. That's exactly right. And then also, I mean, as, I mean, as a former athlete, you just become one dimension, one dimensional once you start specializing. Um, and so if you're a right-handed pitcher, I mean, as physical therapists, we also need to look at how's their balance. What's their stance? Like, how can they stand on their right leg if they're going to pitch and throw off that right leg? And then, you know, how's your core strength too? And where's your proprioception and your kinesthetic sense? Like all that stuff comes into play and we'll talk about that too next podcast. But there's a lot to look at when it comes from a kinetic chain. It might start your ankle, um, all that to your knee and your hip and then your core. If you don't have yep. trunk, good trunk stability, there's a lot of force that gets played in the, on the, or placed on that elbow. Yeah, I think that's a good little teaser. Yeah, that is a good little teaser, but that also comes back to the educational component, right? Yeah. Of, of things where we fit in helping these athletes from from a longevity of, of, of sport and giving them good active rest where it may not be anything throwing related. It may be everything else connected chain, chain related. I mean, I have a buddy that, that plays major league baseball and in the off season, he doesn't take a swing right-handed for the first two months after the season ends. He does every swing left-handed. Why? Because he's just taken 200 days worth of swings right-handed <laughs> you know and he's like I-, I need to give my body a break and i need to i need to do something that's completely different than what it's been used to doing for the last 200 straight days um smart so you know i think we've given hopefully our listeners some good tidbits on education some good stats um and, and really hope that you guys are empowered to step up and start that conversation in your communities with your athletes, with your coaches, with your docs. And, and as Paul alluded to getting all of those people on the same page so that we, we hopefully see when our kids are throwing that they aren't as susceptible to these injuries that we're going to see a, a change back to what we saw in the 1990s where less people are having these, these significant injuries and, and missing time as overhead throwing athletes. Um, so thanks to Paul, Dylan, Josh, Jen, for joining us on this podcast, stay tuned for a second podcast that we're going to talk about on, on more of the the role and, and how we as physical therapists can use movement analysis to better help these athletes and their parents and coaches. Um, as always, if you have any feedback for us, don't hesitate to reach out at therapist in motion at spoonerpt.com. Thanks. <laughs>